Okay. We're still in our book, The Greatest Questions in the New Testament. We're going to be uh, studying Lesson 23 today. Lesson 23, so if you have your book with you, that's found on page 139. 139. Lesson 23. I don't know about y'all, but I've really enjoyed the studying of these, uh, these lessons in this book. Uh, every lesson that I've uh, been privileged to present, uh, you could have made a whole lesson out of each one of those points. And uh, that's how it is today, too. Uh, there, there's so many good points in this lesson. You could spend uh, uh, a long time on every one of these. Of course, we're not going to. Uh, so uh, in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through uh, 4 right now. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diver miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Uh, verse 3 is where our question comes from. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You know, as I was looking at this, it struck me when I read Hebrews 2.1 that it begins with the word therefore. What does therefore mean when we use it? Okay, it means following everything I just told you, here's what I want you to know. Well, I think it would be appropriate for us to go back to Hebrews chapter 1. It's not but 14 verses. And let's read that and apply it to the therefore there. All right? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he hath made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the firstborn into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And to the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. 
And as a vesture, thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? Therefore, all of that stuff just said, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Now, just think about many things, and we could again stay on this all day, about what was said in chapter 1 that makes this so great a salvation. Well, first of all, it was brought to us by Christ, right? Now, he's not like the regular prophets that brought the old law. He's different. He's greater. He's above. He's God's son. He's God in the flesh. He is God manifest to mankind. Therefore, this salvation, this testament that he brings, is a whole lot bigger and more important than the Old Testament, which is brought by regular man by prophets. There's a lot of therefores that, you know, God in the flesh, if you read it, He creator of the world. Angels worship Him. He upholds all things by the word of His power. His throne and His kingdom, the church, are forever. He purged our sins. What man could do that? No man. In Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 2, He's prophet. Hebrews 4, you have to go over to 4. Hebrews 4, 14, He's priest. In Hebrews 1.8, he's king. What man or what could you say that of any man? No. He's prophet, he's priest, he's king. So that's the therefore. So with all of those things in mind, considering who brought us this salvation, then we get down to verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him. Now, in the King James, it says, let them slip. He makes the point that in American Standard and several other versions, uh, that let them slip is, is translated drift away. Now, you, you just think, if you've been in a river, in a boat, or on the ocean, in anything, you don't have to do anything to drift, do you? You just kind of go along with the current. Can that happen to us with our salvation? Can we at one time have found Christ and obtained the salvation that is through Him and then by doing nothing, just drift away from it? That's the whole point. That's kind of what neglect is, is it not? You know, when you neglect something, you don't necessarily actively do anything against it, do you? You just neglect it. You just leave it alone. And he says we have to be careful of that. Matter of fact, he makes the point in point one that man's first duty is to seek the kingdom of God. You know, if you look at Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And then he goes back to Ecclesiastes 12, 13, where it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And we know that word duty has been added. It's the whole of man. That's everything of man. I, I, I forgot who the preacher was just the other night talking about Brady. Was that the last guy that was here? Brady. Uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was talking about uh, Brady, the, the quarterback, and he just he, he made the point he had everything. 
You know, he had all the money, he had the fame, he had the glory, he had won so many championships. And the question was asked, how do you feel? And his answer was, this is it. It just kind of leaves you empty, doesn't it? You know, this is it. I mean, when you get to that point and you've got everything in the world, can that fulfill you? Well, I mean, we see in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, there's another man. Had it all, didn't he? Everything. Everything anybody could want. But yet he found out that the end result is if we fear God and keep his commandments, that's the way we're fulfilled. We have that relationship with God, then we can be fulfilled. Um, and he also refers to Philippians 3 where Paul in 7 and 8, he says, But what things are gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the Knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, at that time, did Paul have everything anybody could want in a religious sense before he became a Christian? He did. He was, he was at the top of the Jewish religion. A Pharisee, studied at the feet of Gamal. He, he had all the, the acknowledgement you could want in a religious sense. But when he learned the truth, he gave all that up, didn't he? For Christ. He gave all that up. He said, that's what we have to do. Now, uh, in point two, he goes through several things that might cause us to let things slip. I'm going to read a list of them, then we're going to read the scriptures. Uh, could be a lack of understanding, cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, uh, tribulation of persecution, Prejudice. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 18, Christ is explaining the parable of the sower. We know the parable of the sower. He went out forth to sow and he sowed seed and fell in all sorts of places. And Christ is going to explain it here. Starting in verse 18. Hear ye the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he that receiveth seed by the wayside. Are there people that just don't do anything? They don't understand it, so they don't do anything. It is neglected. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh, then he said, But he that receiveth the word into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and an eye with joy receiveth it, yet he hath no root in himself, but doeth for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Are the people that receive it. But persecution comes along. Uh, well, I can't, I can't hardly stand this. We're just going to kind of go this way. Is it easier to go with the flow and not be persecuted than it is to endure the persecution? It's easier to go with the flow, isn't it? You can just neglect the salvation. You can just go right along with the flow. Everything be okay in this world as far as persecution goes, but that neglects your salvation too. Um, verse 22, He also that receiveth the seed among the thorns, the seed that heareth the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Are there those that receive it, understand it, want it, obey it, and then get caught up in the world? Notice it says the deceitfulness of riches. Riches can deceive, can't they? 
you think about riches, what do people usually think about when they think of riches? Security. This is what it's going to give me. I'm going to have what I need in this world, whether it's a home, whether it's food, whether it's medical care, whatever it is. I'm going to have everything I need as long as I have the riches. Do riches bring all of that? I think you can just look at the news and read about you know, rich and famous people, if you want to call them that. You know, when you read about their lives, it does not give them that, does it? Many of them that have the world's riches don't live the way God wants them to live. Because of that, a lot of times they reap the consequences of that kind of lifestyle. And the riches can't, can't take that, those consequences away. Now, if you follow God and you do what he wants you to do, with or without riches, you're going to be blessed. God's going to bless you. And you're going to have the things that you need. Not that you're going to be rich in this world's goods necessarily, but you'll have what you need. God has told us that. Uh, and then uh, the next one he goes to is, uh, well, look at Luke 14. He talks about some other excuses there in Luke chapter 14. In this one, uh, we know this story. It's a man that had a, a supper. He invited many people. And let's just read it. He said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, you could go on and on and on with that list of things. All the things around the world that we deal with, we might not have the oxen now. We might buy a new tractor, mightn't we? You know, you, just, you can put it in this time, in this period, and come up with all sorts of things that you can say, you know, I've got to do this. I don't have time to go. I've got to do this. I don't have time to do the Lord's work. I've got now, in doing that kind of thing, in making those excuses, can you let your salvation slip? Yeah. Can you drift away from it? All it takes is a few excuses, isn't it? And you can drift away. And that's the whole point here. And there's a world full of excuses. You can, you can think of many. All right? And, and I know we all have at times and probably will again. But we need to be careful of that, don't we? And be sure that we're putting God and His kingdom first. And then he mentions some other things. Look at 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses uh, 15 through 17. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of, the, of God abideth forever. Is it easy to get caught up in the world? Again, we're repeating that theme over and over again. But that's what we know, isn't it? That's what this fleshly body knows. 
it has all sorts of desires and wants and wishes that we have to put down. We have to push aside. And sometimes that can be a pretty good battle, can't it? When your fleshly desires to do something, but spiritually you know, that's not what I want to do. That's not what God wants me to do. And it can be a struggle. It can be a fight. And if you don't fight it, can you just slowly let it slip and neglect it? Yeah, it's a constant fight. It's a fight every day. You know, it doesn't matter how old you get either. You know, a lot of times we get on uh, younger people, and yes, there are temptations and all those things from the youth, but there are temptations as you get older too, they don't stop. The devil doesn't give up on us just because we're old, does he? No, he just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. And we have to keep on with our struggle also. Uh, look at uh, Timothy 3, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 4. 2 Timothy 3, 4. He says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures. That's what he's looking for. Do some people love pleasure more than they do God? They do. Do they let salvation slip because of the pleasure they want to have in this life right now? Instead of putting that pleasure off for a greater pleasure later on? A lot of times we call that delayed gratification, don't we? You ever have to talk to your kids about that? Delayed gratification? Mm. That's one of those things you've got to drive in sometimes, isn't it? You've got to wait. You know, you've got to work. You've got to do all this stuff before that can come. Well, that's spiritual things too, isn't it? You've got to put off some of the stuff here that the fleshly man may want to do for a delayed, better gratification later on. Look at Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God... Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Do some people get caught up in pleasing men? Worrying so much about what people think of them. And then they say, well, if I do this, you know, if I go this path, people are going to think a whole lot more of me. And, and they're not going to maybe avoid me. They're not going to put me down for my beliefs. So I believe I'll just please men. Happens all the time. Happens every day. Something again that we have to fight. And we have to be on the watch for. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 reads, And with all the deceitful business and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. And his point here is, some people just have a lack of love for the truth. Some people just have a lack of love for the truth. And there are people that you can teach and you can study with, and it's very plain. The truth is there. But yet, they like what they're doing right now better than that whatever religious vein they're in. You know, if it call, you know, man has the tendency to kind of not want to change, doesn't he? I kind of like what I do. I like the rut I'm in sometimes. I don't want to change. Well, in religious ways, we can't get in a rut and say we don't ever want to change, especially if we see it in the Bible and it's truth. 
we should always be willing and ready to change when we see that. That's, that's what our duty is. Question or comment so far? All right, we're down to point two. Yes. Well, it's something we do have to think about, isn't it? It's easy to get caught up in this world because this is what we know. This is what we're experiencing right now. What we're talking about is something we haven't experienced yet, but something we can read about in the Bible and grasp on to. But that death comes quick. I'm sorry? Death comes really quick. Oh, it does. It does. Again, I think that's part of that therefore in Hebrews 1. Read about everything. And think about what Christ gave up to put on fleshly man and being willing to come here and suffer the pain and all the things that we go through for that salvation and willing to give that uh, fleshly life up. Of course, for us, this is what we know, but you know, we know a man just turned 100 years old. That's a long, that's a long life, we say, right? Uh, what is 100 years? I mean, you know, even the history that we know, that is written, that we know about, goes back thousands of years, doesn't it? Well, how many, how many people have lived on this earth and died? And all? You can't even tell, can you? Unnumbered how many people have lived and died. So our little bit of time on this earth doesn't amount to a whole lot of time, does it? Not, not a whole lot, even 100 years. I, I can't help but remember the story of the person turned 100 years old and they were being interviewed and they asked, said, well, what do you want to say about, you know, turning 100 years old? That's a great achievement. A great." He said, well, it just went by so fast. Well, we think well, 100 years has been a long time. Well, I think you can probably look back at your life and say, well, that went by fast. <laughs> you know, I'm standing here now, whatever age you are, and say, I remember when. You know, and it, you, you can still remember it. Doing by fast, okay? And no matter what age you reach, you know, it's like that. You know, it goes by quickly. Point two. He says the inspired writer in this writing, uh, in his warning against the paradigm neglect, mentions two truths. Look at uh, two, two, Hebrews uh, uh, chapter two, verse two. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation as yet the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him? He goes back to verse 2 and says there's, there, there's two sins there. He said the sin of transgression, this is in uh, part 2 here, is the sin of omission. 
Uh, he he uh, cites 1 John 3, 4. Look at 1 John uh, 3, verse 4. It says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. If God says, do not do this, and you do it, that's transgression of the law. That's command. He said that's one type of sin. He said the other is the sin of omission. He, 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 that's disobedience. And look at James 4.17 for that. He says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So you can transgress by willfully doing what God said not do, or you can just neglect it, right, and not do anything. And just disobey by not doing what God told you to do, which is that he said both classes of sin received just recompense of reward. They were justly punished. And then he, he goes on and, and quotes, uh, let's see, look at Second Peter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them unto the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved nor the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after live ungodly. You know, as I read this, I know what it's saying there. Uh, Susan and I read through the Bible last year. It's amazing how many times the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is brought up. Over and over and over again, God talks about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He meant that to be an example. Peter says so here. And then think about the flood. Knowing his family is on one side. Eight people out of the whole world. How many people in the world at that time? We don't know. We don't know. But only eight were saved. And what does that rainbow represent that we see in the sky? Number one, it's a promise, right? God's not going to destroy the world again by flood. He says it's going to be fire next time. Well, what's another thing you should remember when you look at that rainbow? He did destroy the world by flood. And He destroyed it because of all the unrighteousness in the world. It's a twofold memory for us. You see it, God's going to keep His promise. He's not going to destroy it by flood anymore. But He did destroy it by flood. And wiped everybody out but eight people. Isn't it amazing? And I, I'm not going to try to get too political here. But the homosexual community has opted as their symbol the rainbow. It represents two things. God's not going to destroy the world anymore, and He destroyed the world. How in the world can they get that as their symbol? We need to keep telling the world what that really means. Not let it represent something it doesn't. As Christian people, that's what it means to us. It doesn't mean... And then, in the same uh, chapter there, Peter, right after he mentions a flood, talks about Sodom and Gomorrah which were, was destroyed because of homosexual activity in there. 
So those two things are right there together. But yet, they take that symbol to represent. I just, that's amazing to me that, that you can go there and, and look at God's Word and go there. Yeah. We should not be ashamed to explain what the rainbow truly represents. That's right. We have to do it. We have to tell them. You're right. One thing we explain to them is God's rainbow has seven colors. Okay? And the rainbow of the LGBT, whatever, the people, uh, has six colors. And often, when it's a mockery of God or a pick-up of God, it's never well, I read about that the other day, and I don't know whether this is true or not. Uh, uh, I'm colorblind, so I can't tell all the colors. But I heard that the uh, uh, color left off was the one that represents royalty. Is that right? Which would represent Christ? Yes. Uh, now, I, I may be wrong, but, but that that's you brought that up. But doesn't okay. Satan take something that's good and mm -hmm. twist it like that? Oh, yes. And turn it into evil? Yep. You can. That tells us just about anything in this world, and we were talking about the Internet and social media and all that stuff yesterday. Anything in this world can be used for good or evil, can it? There has been so much good done for the cause of Christ, for the church, the world over, through the internet and keeping in contact and teaching Bible lessons. Is that the only thing the internet can be used for? No. You could right now say how much evil is on that internet. So you can take anything, any development or whatever in the world and use it for good or use it for evil. It all gets up to, what do we say? A choice. It all gets up to man's kind's choice whether I'm going to do right with it or whether I'm going to do wrong with it. Okay, and whether it's the internet or, or hey, driving cars. You can do it right or wrong, can't you? You know, you, you can drink and drive and kill people. You know, not the car. It's choice person made. Same thing with the gun violence we've got going on. You know, guns, they're inane objects, you know, that. And people make choice to use them in an evil way? They can. And they do. They do all the time. So, again, it, it's up to choice with mankind. We better move on <laughs> right out of time. Go ahead. Paul, oh, isn't it interesting that the gay community has used the rainbow? Here it is with Peter. He talks about the rainbow, then he talks about homosexuality. Right together. <laughs> right together. Right. That's why I said that's just amazing. It's right there together. Uh, it is. Do what? Satan knew that. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, all Satan did was change one world. You will, you will not surely die, right? That's all he had to do. He used God's words. He just changed one. Well, he used God's rainbow. He just changed one color, didn't he? I mean, that's what went on. So it, it happens. Yes. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yes, sure did. Christ, of course, used it correctly. He used it incorrectly. Christ corrected him, you know, maybe that's what we need to do with the rainbow, huh? Use God's word to correct it. Because there is a right way to see the rainbow, and there's a wrong way, of course. All right. Uh, number three, 
I got about five minutes here, it looks like. Uh, so we're going to be moving on pretty quick. <laughs> Number three, even though this salvation is great, it will not save man unless he's disposed to listen. Uh, Hebrews uh, 2, 3 says, of course we read it, uh, uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? But you skip down to Hebrews 5, or just look over at Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. It says, though were, he were a son, yet he learned, uh, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. The salvation's there. He's done his part. Nothing else he can do. It's up to mankind now. We have to read and study and obey because the salvation is for those that obey him. Now, look at point four. Okay? He says, this question carries its own answer. No, there's no escape for those that neglect great salvation. You know, <laughs> very interesting. This book was written in 1961. It's, he he great, gave great examples. Very appropriate today. Look at what he says. Not only atrocious criminals only are in the danger of condemnation, but all who merely neglect salvation. There is no more escape for the negligent man than there is for the thief, murderer, atheist, or scoffer. That kind of makes you feel kind of bad there, doesn't it? If you just neglect it, you end up in the same category as those people that are doing things willfully against God. Neglect alone will destroy a man. Then he gives these examples. A sick man need not blow out his brain to destroy himself. He can do it by simply neglecting the means of a cure. You don't, you don't want to take the cure, the medicine, or whatever the doctor gives you. It's okay. You don't have to. Well, then you're gone. A man floating in a rowboat above Niagara Falls need not make an effort to destroy himself. He can do it by merely neglecting to use the oars. There's your way out. You know, you just row and you won't go over the falls. What do you got to do? Just not use the oars. And you're going over. And he says again, he makes the point, neglect has the power to ruin every earthly thing of value. It would destroy teeth, wreck health, break friendships, uh, convert a beautiful farm into weeds and briars, ruin a business and transform a beautiful home into a shack. Home ownership is great, isn't it? If you own a home, you know that. But if you own a home, you also know maintenance and upkeep is constant. Is it not? There's something always breaking. Something always tearing down. Something always needs painting. Something always needs fixing. If you decide not to do that and you just let it go, how long is that home going to last? Not long, is it? All you got to do is neglect it. You don't have to actively go out there and burn your house down or you know, get a bulldozer and run over it. All you got to do is neglect it. It will go down. And it'll finally be gone. So that, that, that was his point there. And then, uh, point number five. Simple neglect will condemn many at the judgment. We'll get through some of these, I think. Neglect, uh, uh, the, ne the negligent will build on the sand, the attentive will build on the rock. We know that story, okay? If you build on the rock, your house will stand. If you don't, it will fall when the rains come. Oh boy, that was a minute off. Okay, uh, Peter asked a question concerning the destiny of those who neglect obedience. If we neglect it, the second Thessalonians tells what's going to happen. 
And to you that are troubled, rest with us, with the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't obey, you neglect, then God's vengeance will be taken on you. You can read those other examples there. Uh, one, one thing I want to point out, look at point two. Uh, the last point. The Christian is condemned to give diligence to make his election a calling sure and point two under that. Then we'll stop. We seldom read of the resolutions and intentions of the apostles. But you know what? There's a whole book written on their actions. Acts of the apostles. You know? Resolutions and intentions are good things. But God needs action. If not, it's just negligence. Isn't it? All right. We'll stop there because the bell has rung. Thank y'all.